Sun is out. Sun's shining. They're playing football all over the place. It's a good time of year. That's something to rejoice about. Glad that you're here. We're in this uh, series about we get to, right? We get to. And over the course of this week and the next several, we're going to continue to talk about some of the things that we get to do as believers, as opposed to, right, the, the we have to's. And we all understand how those work, right? What we uh, have to is what kind of somebody from the outside kind of imposes their will upon us and requires us to do something, and that's, that's a have to. And then they tell us that it's a get to because they want to change our perspective about us and fool us into thinking that it's something we wanted to do in the first place, but we know better, right? Our parents tried that on us when we were young, and we saw right through it. Have to's come from the outside. Get to's, uh, true get to's, they come from the inside. The things that we love to do are not things that uh, are imposed on us from the outside. They're things that just rise up from who we are, from who God has made us to be, right? Uh, from our personality or our interests or our desires. And when we have the chance to do something that matches with that, we have a sense of anticipation. We get to do that. And uh, gosh, I remember when I was, when I was uh, just a child, I grew up, it was a long time ago, but there was this period in kind of the middle and late 70s where the whole health food thing was a very big deal. Uh, where my family was growing up, and my mom and dad went in all the way. They were all in on the health food thing, and so I ate things that would astound you all in the name of being healthy. The stuff we ate was so good for us, it made us sick on a regular basis. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. And so I guarantee you, I've eaten vegetables that you have never heard of from places you have never been. And all along the way, uh, I was told that I had to. Okay, now, the, the, the stuff that was around a lot of the time was just your kind of garden variety, run-of-the-mill growth vegetables. Zucchini and spinach were particularly, uh, particularly abundant in our home. I couldn't stand them. And, uh, and I would make just, you know, my sister and I would figure out ways to kind of slide nasty vegetables to the dog under the table. It was horrible. I hated them. And then something weird happened. I grew up. It took a while. It took a long while. It's been a long time, but I've realized something about myself as I've gotten older. Now that, now, that I, now that I'm here, I'm actually looking forward to those same vegetables more and more. And when I go out to a restaurant that's really nice, like I enjoy the entree and I enjoy the stuff, but you know what I really end up loving? The vegetables. That's kind of creeping me out a little bit. And, and something has radically and drastically changed. Now I've now I got to ask you this. What changed? Was it the vegetables themselves? You know, did the polarity of the earth suddenly reverse and, and global warming has had this weird effect and now spinach tastes like chocolate? No, I don't think that's what happened. The change was in me. I grew up, I matured, and I developed. It's not like I worked really hard and I said, I'm just going to really gut it out and learn to love these hideous vegetables. No, it was just a change that came along. It used to be a have to, and it has become a get to because something changed in me. And by the way, isn't that how our relationship with God is actually supposed to work. Isn't the way that our relationship with God is supposed to work that we develop a friendship with God not by laboring to live up to some standard and a bunch of half-dos that he's put on, put on us as a burden, hoping that one day all of our efforts will pay off and that one day God will finally approve of me because I'm doing such a good job? That's not how it's supposed to work. Not by half-dos. The opposite is actually true. We, uh, we develop a friendship with God by accepting, by faith, God's offer to forgive us for the things that we've done wrong and his offer to adopt us into his family and to make us his sons and his daughters and to take him up on his promise literally 
to allow his Holy Spirit to live and to dwell within us. And the result of that, if we accept it, if we receive that, the result is that we grow up and we become mature, we become spiritually alive, and as a result, we change. And many of the things, many of the things that used to be have-tos in our life become true get-tos. And so it's an interesting note about this series. This week and the next uh, 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 several, uh, it's a series about the get-tos of being a Christian. The get-tos of being a person who's a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. And I'll say, maybe that's not you this morning. Maybe you're just here because a, a friend invited you and you had nothing better to do. Maybe you heard there was some decent music and some great coffee and you decided to check in with that. And either way, that's great. We are glad that you're here. It's awesome. But if you're not a Christian, much of what we talk about and much of what we discuss over the course of these next few weeks will probably feel like have-tos for you. Because the impulse for them isn't coming from the Spirit of God who dwells within you. It would be coming from something outside of you. And that would make it a have-to. But I want to invite you, if that's you, if you're here and just exploring the faith or you're not uh, particularly a follower of Jesus at this point, I would encourage you to stick around and for a couple of reasons. One, you're actually going to hear quite a bit about how God directs his people to live and to conduct their affairs in the everyday business of life. And you may not have signed on as a believer, and as a result of that, you're not necessarily responsible to live out those particular directions that we'll be talking to you. But I will tell you this, if you do, believer or not, believer or not, if you put God's principles into play, they work. And life improves and gets better as we follow the principle that God gives us to live, whether we're believers or not. And the second reason I'd invite you to stick around is this. I believe that God has placed within everybody, within Christians, within Buddhists, within atheists, within Muslims, within every person on earth, I believe God has placed this innate desire tucked down in our heart to make a difference, to have an impact, to make the world a better place by what it is that we bring to that. And at the heart of all of the get-tos that we're going to talk about is this consistent theme. We get to be used by God to bless others and to make a difference in their life and to make this world a better place. It's not all about us. It's about others. And I believe that that message resonates with Christians, but I believe it resonates with people of all faiths and all backgrounds alike. So let me ask you, what's the greatest commandment of all, the greatest have-to that becomes the most important get-to? They asked Jesus about this, and this is what he said. They asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one's the biggest deal? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Very clear that the very first thing that we get to do as followers of Jesus is to love God. And specifically to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Another place in the Gospels it talks about loving him with all of our strength as well. And, and a lot of people will kind of take the opportunity to kind of um, to define out well, which part of, of the human person is the heart at, or the soul or the mind and, and how do those all come together. And we can do that and we can spend the time if we want to, but rather than spend a lot of time there, I'd like to look instead at the very obvious big picture meaning of this passage. And that is that we're supposed to love God with everything that we've got and with everything that we are. 
So that no matter how you split up and divide up the categories of human existence and what it means to be a human person, we get to love God with all that we have in every nook and cranny and corner of our personhood. So that means our thinking, it means our behaving, it means our feeling, it means our deciding, it means our imagining and our working and our creating and our relating to one another. There's no sphere of our personhood that should be untouched by our love for God. So what does that mean, really? What does it really mean to allow every corner of my existence to be an expression of my love for God? Does it mean that everything I have to do has to be real churchy and Christian-y that way? Does it, does it mean that uh, if I'm in sales, say, as a, as a living, that I can only sell Christian and churchy kinds of products? If I'm an educator, does that mean that I can only teach in Christian schools? If I'm an artist, does that mean I'm limited to just painting uh, pictures of Bible scenes and Bible stories? Does it mean that when I watch football, I have to shout, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, when my team scores, instead of cheering like a normal person? On that one, of course not, because on the other side of the stadium is probably someone who's yelling, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, when their team scores against your team. Except for at University of Washington, no one who truly loves God would be be, uh, uh, addressing God if they went to the University of Washington. That's an entirely different issue. not what it means to love God, to be very churchy and Christian-y about everything. What it means is this, is that if you're in sales, that you, then you conduct your business in sales with the kind of integrity and the kind of honesty that reveals God's love for others. It means if you're an educator in any environment, that those kids are more than just uh, vessels to pour content into their brains but they are people whom you love and care for because God loves and cares for them as well. If you're an artist, it means that you learn to see in all of the environment around you the beauty that God has invested in his creation and that you reflect that in your art in whatever way that that comes about. And it's the same for any kind of endeavor and any kind of activity that uh, we find ourselves in. We don't just turn it into a christian version of that endeavor, but we learn to ask the question, how does my love for God affect the way that I go about this? How does my love for God affect the way that I respond to the drivers in traffic around me when I'm late? How does my love for God affect the way that I treat the customer service representative on the phone who's either having a very bad day or or who is entirely incompetent? How does it affect the way that I treat my family when I'm uh, stressed out uh, and up against some hard deadlines and they still need some things from me? See, loving God with all of my heart And my soul and my mind and my strength means bringing my love for God to bear in every one of those circumstances. Because I love God, I don't have to run the idiot off the road just because he's a poor driver. Because I love God, I don't have to yell and scream and berate the person on the phone who's not helping me the way that I think I deserve. Because I love God, I can learn by his grace to give my family the best of me and not the worst of me and the leftovers. Loving God with a heart and soul and mind and strength means that every part Every little private corner of my life is affected and directed and occasionally corrected by my love for God. Can I say that again? Loving God, heart, soul, mind, and strength means that every corner of your life is affected and directed and as necessary corrected by your love for God. But what does loving God actually look like when we get down to it? What are the activities associated with loving God, because this actually isn't, isn't it where it gets real. This is where the rubber meets the road, and this is where we uncover what's a get-to and what turns out to be just a have-to, right? Well, first thing is this. Loving means 
obedience. That's pretty straight ahead. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you love God, then you will find yourself obeying him. Now, several years ago, Gary Chapman wrote his book, The Five Love Languages. If you're familiar with that, it's built around this one very simple idea. If you love someone and you want to communicate to them that you love them, you have to figure out what are the kinds of things that say to them, I love you. So if I take my wife for an afternoon of golf and follow it up by sitting in front of the TV watching a football game, I'm going to have a great time, but she will not feel like I've really expressed love to her, right? Because I'm speaking in my language, not hers. What's God's love language? What communicates to God that we love him? John wrote this in his first letter. He said, this is how we know uh, that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. What's God's love language? It's obedience. Obedience, you mean like to obey? Yep, that's what I mean. Um, what do you mean really obey? I mean do everything that God asks you to do, even if you don't like it. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought he meant. Bummer. Which parts of Jesus' teachings should we obey? All of them, right? Good. Come on, Pastor Scott. Aren't you at least kind of like run through a list of potential applications, some specific communications, like a kind of a starter kit for applying obedience, and then I can listen and, and just pray and hope against all hope that you don't list anything specific that I have to deal with right now, and then I can pass it off and say, now nah, he wasn't really speaking to me. No, I'm not going to take time listing all the things that, God's, that we might be talking about obedience. Let's talk about the one or two things that you already know in your heart of hearts that God is calling you to live out a higher level of obedience than ever before. Places where you already know that you need to adjust and to change. Places where God is calling you to love him and to demonstrate that love through obedience. See, our love for God reveals itself in obedience to him. If God's speaking that to your heart, then, uh, then you've got some work to do. One of the ways that you will communicate most clearly to God that your love for him is real and genuine and sincere and true is by walking out that obedience. Where else is our love for God revealed in addition to our obedience? Well, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And then it goes on from there. But I just want to stop. For God so loved that he gave. And I think we know inherently from this verse and from our own experience as well, right? Loving involves giving. It's an inherent, inseparable part of loving to give. And where our love for God is concerned, it involves all kinds of giving. It means giving of our time and of our attention to study, to read God's word, to pray, to spend time with him in order to know him better. It also means giving of some of our time to volunteer and to serve and to help others. And that can take place in church, you know, down in kids' ministry or on the parking team or in the traffic team or in the coffee bar or any of the numerous places there are to serve, but it can take place as well in your community and in your neighborhood or in your kids' school or wherever. But part of loving God is giving of time. It means giving of the gifts and the talents and the interests and experiences that are uniquely yours and directing them towards the purposes that are close to God's heart. That's part of what it means to love God is to give in service. And it means also, in part, to give financially, tithing to your local church and then giving generously elsewhere as well as God directs you to do that. Remember, I want to just touch base again and remember our get-to, have-to structure. The tithing and giving isn't just a have-to that earns us God's approval. 
I have, to, I have to give, I have to tithe, I have to participate financially in the life of the church in order to get God of appro- to approve of me. No, not at all. But when we become followers of Jesus, and as we grow in that, and as we mature, we begin to experience giving and tithing differently as a get-to, as a response to God's generous salvation. Now, I've I got to say this, I get asked a lot of the same questions about tithing over and over and over again and again and again, kind of the same ones. And so I want to just hit them real quick, kind of a quick lesson here. Um, so here they are. For one question is this, what is tithing? What does that mean, tithing? And it means literally giving 10% of your income to the local church as an expression of trust and faith in God and as a means of facilitating the ongoing work of the church. It means doing the real difficult math of moving the decimal place over a couple and figuring out 10% of what I earn and giving that to the local church as a demonstration that I trust God, I want to invest in what he's doing, and I want to make the work of this church of which I am a part continue going on. People ask frequently, okay, I, I get the 10% thing. Where, where is that in the Bible? Well, it's in a number of places, but maybe one of the most powerful passage, passages in the, is in the book of Malachi, where it says it, it, God instructs his people, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The, uh, in, a, in a farming economy like Old Testament Israel, they, they uh, brought in their crops, and then they separated out, and 10% came to the temple, and it was that 10% that they brought to the temple that allowed the priests to function and to live uh, and to take care of things within the temple. That's the model, and we extend it out to today. 10% of what is another question I get. Is it 10% of my gross pay? Is it 10% of my net pay? Do I go to my adjusted gross income on my tax form and do 10% there? What's the 10% mark? Well, if you're going to ask me, by the way, if you go to your concordance and look up the phrase uh, 1040, okay, whether you're using the EZ or the 1040A or whichever one it may be, when you look at a tax form 1040, you don't find that in the Bible. Okay, so we're not, we're not going to maybe run across those specific things. But when asked the question, I will tell you this. Tithe off the gross. That's my recommendation to you. But I'll also tell you this. Across America, churches are not struggling because people are tithing off their net income rather than their gross income. That's not why churches are struggling. I tell you, if half of us in this room tithed off our net income, we would have to get creative and build up teams of people just to figure out how are we going to invest all of this resource into the kingdom of God. I will say that um, if, you're, if tithing is something you wrestle with or struggle with, or maybe you've just been considering and saying, how do I dive in? Dive in somewhere. Start at 10% of something. And I believe that as you see God's blessings both in your own life and in the life of the church that you're supporting, I believe you'll grow in that and that'll move on up. Let's not get, um, let's not get bogged down in, uh, in uh, fine interpretations about uh, which line on the, on the tax form we're going to tithe off of. Let's get to the broader picture. Do we really believe that God instructs his people to entrust that part of their income to his work? And it's pretty clear that he does. Um, I, I do want to say this about our church. Um, and it's something that's really... Um, I feel this very deeply in my heart. Our church has a generous... And I mean, I just look, look at the building that we're sitting in. This, this is a building that was renovated because God's people rose up and said, in generosity and in faith and with sacrifice, I want to be a part of what God's doing here. It's a huge demonstration of 
the giving nature and the giving heart of our people. You know what else? When we do projects and on uh, Fifth Sunday missions offerings and when we have opportunities and say, hey, there's a need here or a need in our community or a need uh, in this village in Africa that we're going to support, when, we, when needs are presented to this group of people, this group of people responds. I, I just want to take a moment and commend you and say you demonstrate God's, your love for God in your generosity to projects as they come up. And I commend us for that. We do a great job with that. I want to challenge you to match that uh, generous, sacrificial, faith-filled giving on the special projects with ongoing, regular, committed giving with the, with the biblical model of tithing as well. But what we have in our heart and what has been demonstrated is a heart of a people who desperately want to see God's work move forward. And that's an expression of God's love uh, in us as well. God's loving God means we walk in obedience, and it means that uh, we walk in giving of all kinds as well. But very, very importantly, I just want to add this, that loving God means helping others to grow. Loving God is just not getting myself as an individual all buddy-buddy with God and making sure that I feel great. It's about helping others. They asked Jesus about the greatest commandment, and he said, essentially, look, there's actually two greatest commandments. There's the one about loving God, but I can't tell you about that one without telling you about this other one. And that involves loving others at the same time. Because loving God is inextricably linked with loving and caring for others. In, a, in John chapter 21, kind of after he'd been crucified and he'd been raised from the dead, Jesus had this conversation with Peter. And remember, he asked him three times, if you're familiar with the passage, three times he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter each time says, Lord, you you know that I do. You know that I love you. And and Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Then take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. See, in Jesus' mind, if your statement, I love you, is true, then it's going to result in the activity of taking care of others. At LCN, Life Center North, um, just like in many churches, there are all kinds of pieces of our programming puzzle to help you grow in your faith, specifically designed to help you to grow in your love for God. We have worship services. We have baptisms. We have classes in personal devotions and Bible studies and things like that. But I want to challenge you, if you've been a Christian or have been coming to Life Life Center North uh, for any length of time at all, is it possible that it's time to move past just viewing these things as your personal and very individualized opportunity to grow as an individual closer to God? Is it possible that it's time to move past that and to say, maybe it's time for God to begin using me to express his love to others? Time to love God by caring for some of his sheep, by helping them to grow with you. Can I just suggest a few simple ways that this might work very simply? When it comes to a worship service, we come to a worship service week in and work out. You know, one of the ways you can help people grow is you can just invite people to come with you. The people in your life that maybe aren't attending a church or maybe looking for a place to connect with God uh, for the first time in their life or maybe coming back to church after a time away, it doesn't really matter. But there are people that you and I know who need to be here, who need to be meeting God in this place. And one of the ways that you can make your worship life not just about you but about others is to include them by inviting them, to encourage those who are part of this church who maybe if you haven't seen them in a week or two or three or four to put out an email or a phone call or a text and say, I miss you, I'd like to see you again. And when we're in the worship service, particularly when, um, when we're worshiping and when we're singing, can I just tell you how inspiring it is to be around people who are worshiping God? I mean, when we sing songs and the lyrics are up on the screen and the band is leading us and stuff, that's our moment to be telling God that we love him, right? 
And that's a great deal. And that can be very individual and very personal. But you know what? It's inspiring when I'm in a room with a lot of people who are doing that. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting over here, and, uh, and there was uh, a gal behind me, and she was so engaged in worship, and she had the most beautiful uh, voice. I don't know who you were, so it was probably you if that's what you're thinking. But, uh, but just the passion with which she entered into worship and the beauty of her voice was inspiring. It caused me to want to worship deeper and better and more. A couple weeks before that, there was a guy behind me. He didn't sound nearly the same. I wouldn't describe his voice as beautiful as, beautiful as all, uh, at all. But you, I will say this, um, and again, I don't know who this was, so I'm probably not talking about you. But, uh, but although his voice was not like classically or professionally trained, and although it was not the most beautiful instrument I have ever heard, I heard the voice of this man behind me, fully engaged, fully participating, and he was in the moment of telling God how much he loved him. And, and just the act of doing that with authenticity and with passion, even in the absence of a perfect voice, it inspired me to want to love God better, to want to worship him more and more deeply, to care less and less about what I sounded like, and just concentrate on loving God. Do you realize that just by the way you and I come into this place and worship God in the worship service, we can be about the business of helping others and feeding God's sheep that way. We can do that. We have baptisms. We have a baptism coming up, in fact, at the end of September. In fact, there's some classes you need to attend, so um, if you're interested in being baptized, you need to hop online and, uh, and get signed up for that. And all the information, you can get that at the info counter, or you can get it online as well. But you know what? Here's something. A lot of times, we, just, we cut to the individual thing. Have I been baptized? Yes or no? And, and we just answer the question for ourselves. But if to love God is to take care of his sheep, then oughtn't we at least to be asking the question, okay, maybe I need to be baptized, but maybe there's someone I know, maybe there's someone in my family, maybe there's someone in my life group, maybe there's someone that I could just encourage, you know, have you been baptized? I'll go with you, I'll go to the class with you, I'll attend it with you, I'll be there for your baptism. I think this would be great for you. I want to encourage you to do this. Something as simple as, a, as, as an invitation to the baptism from you could be what gets somebody moving in that particular way. So talk to a spouse, a friend, life group members, and invite everyone you know to come be a part of that baptism and see what God is doing. We've got a personal devotions class. If, if you're already in the habit of having a regular daily time with God, spending time reading the Bible, spending some time in prayer, maybe even journaling down some thoughts and some notes and ideas about what you're reading and praying about, if that's a discipline that you've cultivated, then you know the power uh, that that has to really cause spiritual growth in your life. If that's not a discipline or a regular activity of yours, we have a class coming up in just a couple of weeks. In fact, I think it starts next week. You can sign up for that online too. Um, and that's a great thing. Uh, if you haven't had that personal devotions class, I strongly encourage it. But again, loving God is caring for God's people. I, I would love for us to embrace that so wholeheartedly that when we see something in the bulletin or hear an announcement about a personal devotions class, what sparks our mind is not, do I have time for that? Does that fit in my schedule? Would that be good for me? Would I, you know, is, is me, 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 me? Wouldn't it be awesome if we said, I know some people for who that would be a great Maybe I just want to go, even though I've had the class, maybe I just want to go there and, and support people who are coming to learn. Maybe where devotions are concerned, maybe it doesn't even have anything to do with the class. Maybe it's time for you to step aside from just the 
always having a private, personal, just you and God individual time, maybe you could open up some of your schedule and some of your availability just to sit down and, and do a devotion with somebody else or a couple somebody else's and invest in them that way. Maybe if, God's, maybe if part of your uh, devotional life is to write down and to journal the things that God has been speaking to you, maybe you can post some of those things. There are, you know, the, there are sites all over the place where you can post your devotions. You can uh, make posts on the Life Center North website. There are all kinds of places where you can just share what God is doing with you with other people. It doesn't have to be on a post on a website or a blog or anywhere like that. You can just talk to the people in your life about what God's speaking to you and about what you're reading in his word and making that a part of your conversation. See, that's taking this idea that my love for God isn't just about what I'm getting out of it and my closeness to him. But, but God wants to use that to actually care for others, to connect what God's doing with me individually with what he's doing in the lives and hearts of others. That's what it means to love God. I want to close by addressing something that came up in my own mind, in my own heart, while preparing for much of this this morning. Uh, and that is this, that a lot of these get-tos, I realized in my own mind, in my own heart, a lot of the time they still feel like. I'd love to be able to say, I've grown and I've matured, and just like things worked out with the vegetables, now all of these things are just the freshest desire of my heart, and it's the easiest thing in the world, and it's not. And what does that mean, really? Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Does it mean I don't love God? Of, of course it doesn't mean those things. It just means I've got some work to do. I've got a ways to go yet. But it's worth taking a close look at. Because the particular form of immaturity that leads me to experience some of these things as have-tos still, it's a sneaky little bugger called legalism. And it can be deadly. Legalism is what reduces a relationship with God to nothing more than doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. And it keeps the impulse to do or not do those things on the outside. Legalism says, look, your whole relationship with God, with God is summed up in following the rules. Everything is a have-to. Legalism takes so much pride in its ability to perform the have-tos that everything remains outside. It suggests that there's no need at all to have God on the inside. Legalism is what writes our need for God right out of the script. If I can just do enough, do a good enough job on all of these have-tos, I don't even need God on the inside changing me, transforming me, and turning those things to get to's. And maybe you encounter some of these challenges to love God in the specific ways we've talked about this morning. Maybe you encounter them as have to. I guess I just want to ask you to evaluate how hard are you trying and striving to live up to God's expectations? Are you, are you attempting to do that in your own strength? Are you attempting to do in your own strength what only God can really accomplish? Have you really, really invited God into your life, to the very center, asked him to take up residence there, to make you clean from sin and to control your life going forward? Is that what's taken place? Or is it possible that maybe you've still let God remain on the outside, giving you his rules and his expectations, and you're doing your very best to live up to them? And if that's the case, I want to ask you this morning, if maybe it's not time to move past that to turn your love for God into something that's not just a living up to a standard, but to turn your love for God into something that's about living out what he's already doing inside. Let's go ahead and pray, shall we?
Lord, our love for you begins in the deepest places of our hearts, souls, and our mind and our strength. God, on our best days, it, it issues out from there into the things that we do and say and think. God, would you help us as people who love you dearly, who love you passionately. God, would you help us to uh, never lose the passion, never lose the heart of our love for you. But God, would you also, um, by that very love, shape us to people who are doing your will, who are living out your life the way you call it to be lived. God, would you break in all of us any seeds or any realities of legalism. God, it's not that uh, not that the way we live doesn't matter. Just the acknowledgement that we don't earn your favor. We don't acquire your blessing just by being good and living up to the standard. Matter of fact, it's just our love for you and our relationship which empowers us to grow forward into maturity. So God, we want to choose this morning to release any need of legalism that exists. Would you set us free from that? God, would you would you come into our lives, our very souls this morning? God, by your spirit, would you change us, not just on the outside in the way we behave, but would you change us on the inside? Help us as we grow to become more like you. Not because we have to, but because we're faithfully responding to what you're already doing at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Look forward to hearing about how that gets worked out in, uh, in life this week. But in the meantime, we're going to receive our tithes and our offerings uh, uh, this morning here in the service. So the ushers, they're going to come, and they're going to pass the baskets back and forth. And while we do that, we're going to worship God. And we're going to continue to declare our love for him 